it, it's hard to believe that it's been seven years ago that um, Sharon's grandson, Michael, came and said that he felt called to go with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, to, to New Zealand. And let me just ask, how many people here are YWAMers? I know there's a few of them out there. Look around, Michael. Look around. You've got some, some, some elder YWAMers that went before you. But um, due to COVID and all, uh, Michael hasn't been able to pay back home for three years. But we follow him on Facebook and in other ways. Uh, I know Sharon and Yvonne got to go over a couple years ago and before the pandemic and visit him. And, and I, just, I love this, this young man's passion for the Lord and, and passion for ministry. And so I'm going to step out of the way and just invite Michael up here to share what's been going on over the last three years over there in New Zealand. All right, good morning. Oh, it's always amazing to be here. Uh, you guys are getting a little bit of a South Pacific morning this morning with uh, Peter's worship. That was awesome. Where'd you go, Peter? There you are. That was so good. Yeah, you guys got a little bit of Aussie, and I like to think of myself as Kiwi now. Um, got my uh, residency this last year, which is really exciting. Um, but my accent still isn't coming in. Is it, Peter? <laughs> No, not quite yet. <laughs> I thought when I got residency, I'd just immediately start sounding Kiwi, mate. No? No? Oh, that's how it works. Um, you guys are getting a South Pacific morning this morning, so it's a, it's a blessing to be here. And, uh, but do not, you know, do not confuse us, Aussies and Kiwis. We're, uh, you know, no, that's like Canadians and Americans. You don't confuse us. No, but it, it's... I'm a little sad to say I think we're the, Canadi the Kiwis are the Canadians in this relationship. No offense, Canadians, but... Um, but no, I, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for all God wants to do this morning and just to share a little bit of what the Lord's been up to um, over the last, specifically the last two to three years um, in YWAM Queenstown because it has, as we've all known, it's been a, a wild two or three years, um, many unexpected events, as we all know, uh, and the Lord's been revealing himself in brand new ways um, that we've been excited to see and excited to experience. So, um, I love to be here. I'm really honored to be here. And keeping up with the South Pacific uh, theme of this morning, apparently, um, I'm just going to go ahead and open up in a prayer, um, but do it in Māori, the langu local language of New Zealand. So if you can just bow your heads, we'll go ahead and pray. He honore, he kororia, ki te atau. He mangarongo, ki te whanua. He whakaro, paikana, tangata katoa. Amen. Amen. So now that I've proven to you I'm a real missionary. <laughs> no, that wasn't tongues. Um, <laughs> we, uh, over the last two years of, of COVID, uh, New Zealand has had some of the strictest border lockdowns and, and control in the entire world. I mean, even right now, the borders are still closed. I was only able to come here because I got my residency approved. Um, and so it's been, we've had three lockdowns where we weren't legally allowed to leave the house uh, unless it was to the grocery store, um, and that was it. And so the first one was two months, next one was a month, and then the last one was last September for three weeks. Um, and so that's kind of what we've gone through. So during that time, we really sought the Lord, obviously, and I'm going to talk about that this week and everything that he did. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to do and we were passionate about is over the last two years of so many lockdowns and so much change, we were like, all right, well, we want to learn more about the culture of this land. We want to learn more about the Maori, the local indigenous people of New Zealand or Aotearoa. Um, we want to learn the language. And so we took time to learn the language. And so basically what I just prayed out was honor and glory to God. Lord, we pray to you, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. 
And we took time to learn a whole bunch of wayatas, which is worship songs in Modi, or uh, even, I don't know if you guys have ever seen hakas. Have you guys seen the All Blacks rugby team? They do a, a war haka, and nowadays they, uh, they do it before spiritual warfare, and I'll tell you, you're ready for battle and spiritual warfare when they do a haka, a worship haka. Why it's a, I wouldn't do it for you because it's the least intimidating thing in the world coming from me. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a really, really cool way of, of just worshiping God and honoring God. So we learned some hakas, we learned some wayatas, and we're, we're trying to learn the language and, and things like that. And it's really, really been a blessing. But one of the things I've absolutely loved... Um, about learning about the Maori culture is how much they honor those who have gone before them. Um, they do that with passion. You know, they, they remember each and every name of their ancestors and they can repeat it, you know, from the beginning, from as long as they can remember. Our, our New Zealand national director, he's a good friend of mine, Ray Totorewa, he, uh, he can literally say his lineage going back eight, nine, ten generations. And it always just humbles me in that moment. And they take time before every sermon, before every uh, 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 meeting, before every gathering, whatever it is, they take time to make sure that they spend their time honoring those who have gone before them, honoring those who have pioneered and paved the way. So even as Walt said, that's one of the reasons I love coming here is because I recognize um, so many within this room have pioneered the way for me to be able to sit here or, or speak this morning. And it's humbling when I look out there and I see how many YWAMers are, are sitting there. When I see how many people in ministry, how many have gone before me, I know I would not be standing here if it wasn't for you. And it's humbling to remember. The Maori have a saying, they have a saying that when you enter a new village, when you enter a new tribe, that you always bring one empty basket in front of you and one full basket behind you. And I love that saying, whenever you come to a new place, whenever you enter into a new culture, a new land, you always come with an empty basket. You come first wanting to learn. You come first wanting to receive, wanting to see what this culture is teaching, wanting to glean from the wisdom, from the, the things that, the, that these ancestors, these people have gone before you in. And then you, have a, you bring your full basket behind you because once that's full, then you give what you have to offer. And I love that, that example that the Modi have. And it's so true whenever I, it's why I love coming to Sky Valley these last seven years, because you guys are, you know, what the Modi call Fanu, family. You know, you guys are family, this place, the wisdom that you guys carry, um, how you, so many of you here have gone before me. And even, again, thanking and honoring Walt, um, who has let me speak these years and just building the relationship that we've had. It's meant the world, and, and I, I treasure this place so much in my heart. Then, of course, I wouldn't be here without my family sitting over here, um, without my Aunt Cindy, the relationship we've built over the years, and, of course, my dad and how he raised me and the good man of God that he is, and my Nana and the mentor she's been. And, of course, I want to take a moment, if you don't mind, if I can keep it together to honor my papa, uh, Dave Newville. He just passed away uh, two months ago. On the day he passed, I got my residency visa. And I fought for it for two years uh, for my residency visa. It's hard to get. And I tried to get it in time that I can come here and, and go to the funeral memorial. But God had other plans, and I honor that. And I, we watched the first part of it, and it was a blessing. But for those of you who knew Dave, um, yeah, the Lord, God's so good, right? He, uh, a couple months ago, he woke me up in the middle of the night. The Holy Spirit loves to do that. The Holy Spirit will... I'll be sleeping in the middle of the night, and he's, you know, people say God's a gentleman, right? 
Um, but uh, he also knocked Paul off of a donkey and blinded him for two days. So <laughs> he can also be a little bit of a <laughs> slap you around a little bit when you need to. Amen. <laughs> and I love that side of the Holy Spirit, but he'll wake me up sometimes and I'll just wake up and be like, God, really? You know, just let me have a little more sleep. But he'll wake me up and, and he'll start speaking to me and I'll write it in my notes and then I'll fall back asleep. And I know it's the Holy Spirit because I'll wake up in the morning and I'll read the notes and I'll be like, oh my gosh, this is really good. I never thought of this. <laughs> but one night, a couple months ago, he, uh, he woke me up and he immediately spoke in my spirit that I need to write a letter to my papa. And uh, I'm not going to take time to read it now, but um, I just wrote this letter of just everything that he meant to me and, and the legacy that he left. You know, it... it I realized in that night writing that that so often we save the, the love that we have and, and the impact that, that our family and people around us and our communities have had on us until it's too late, until it's their memorial or their funeral. And I was just so thankful the Holy Spirit led me to write that, to talk about the, the path, the humility that he carried. The, I mean, he was forgiven much and he loved much, as Jesus talked about. And I know I wouldn't be here without him and without that example of a godly man. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to just honor um, Dave, my papa, and uh, the amazing impact that he has had on my life and in this community. So thanks for listening to that. But it's true. I love that. I love that about the Modi, about how they recognize those who have gone before them, and I recognize that within this room and within my papa and the godly man that he is. Um, but before I share a little bit about why I'm Queenstown, um, I mean, I kind of, if you don't mind, I'd like to walk you through a little bit of my story. I see some fresh faces. Some of you guys may have heard this three or four times now. I apologize. Hopefully something will, Holy Spirit will, you know, speak something fresh and new through it. That's why Jesus spoke in parables and stories 99.9% .9 of the time, right? It was always through stories because we can always, the Holy Spirit will always emphasize something new and point out something new. And, uh, and so I'll share a little bit of that so you guys can kind of understand why I'm a 28-year-old, you know, standing before so many people who are way more qualified <laughs> um, to be standing before you now um, and why I consider that such an honor and I take that so seriously. But uh, yeah, I was raised, like I mentioned, I was raised in a great Christian home. My family loves the Lord. I have an amazing inheritance. I speak throughout New Zealand. I actually just got done speaking at Matamata and Tauranga in the North Island of New Zealand. And I speak on DTSs throughout New Zealand and Australia. And it's my passion. I love speaking to young people, you know, talking about Jesus, getting them excited for the gospel and talk more about what God's up to in Aotearoa in a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's good to understand the speaker. But I was raised within that Christian context. And I share this story to people that you don't need to have this crazy wild testimony of, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll. That wasn't my story. I have an American, amazing inheritance within an amazing family, and I share that to schools. Like, look back at the inheritance that you're carrying. Look back at your parents, at your grandparents, at the people who have gone before you, and recognize that. Recognize the strength, and thank God in that, and recognize the weaknesses, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to let you walk in the opposite of that. But it's amazing to recognize and be thankful for that. And I come from an amazing Christian family who loves the Lord, and I thank God for that. But to keep the story relatively short, because I don't want it to be most of the time, but um, I was raised within that amazing Christian family. But as most uh, teenagers going through puberty at 12 years old, I started to have an identity crisis. <laughs> um, 
I started to question everything. I started to question this God because I started to realize how much of my faith was based upon my family, how much of my faith was based on my parents' faith, on Sunday school, on going to church, on, you know, doing the whole Christian, you know, walk Sunday Christian kind of thing, you know, and I realized how much of my faith was dependent on that. And so at 12 years old, I started to question all of it. I started to, to question whether it's a reality. And at the same time, I started to get into uh, started to fall into a bit of depression as well as picked up uh, some pornography. And I started to go down that road, and it was at 12 years old, I'll never forget this, that it was one night I was really, really struggling with this depression and questioning everything. And during that time, actually, I started to go to my friend Gavin's, you know, Mormon church every once in a while and started to ask my friends of their faiths and started investigating those things. And it was one night, I was 12 years old, and I was, I was going through a really hard time in that, and I was crying out to the Lord, like, God, what's going on here? I don't feel, it doesn't feel right, like something's off, I'm tired of this. And I remember looking up at my desk, and I remember seeing a Bible that my dad had given me for my eighth birthday. And I, I still have that Bible to this day, and on the front was just, happy eighth birthday, son, I love you, and from your dad. And um, I remember opening it, and I, I don't know what led me. I, I mean, obviously I do now. It's the Holy Spirit, but in the moment, I don't know what led me. In that moment, I opened up to the book of John, and I remember that night, I just reread the book of John over and over and over, and I was just weeping before the Lord. It was just all night. I was just crying before God and, and reading the book of John, and it was like Jesus showed up to me in person in that room. You know, it was like, Jesus, it wasn't about my family's faith anymore. It wasn't about anything else I'd heard about God. I am now reading and getting to know God and Jesus for who he is. And it reminds me of, of Luke 24, when, 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 when two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. And this is after the resurrection, right? So he's appearing to people and disappearing. I, I can't imagine how fun that was for Jesus. Just here I am, poof, and then he'd show up to other disciples and poof, you know, who knows what he was up to. How cool would that be? But it reminds me of that story because he shows up, these two disciples are walking along the road and he shows up to these two disciples and he's like, hey, what's, what's all the hubbub around here? Like, what's going on? Like, I'm hearing all this stuff. Tell me about what's going on. And they kind of make fun of him a little bit. Like, what are you, living under a rock? Like, have you not heard about this Jesus guy and everything that's happening in Jerusalem? And like, man, imagine if you accidentally roasted Jesus. <laughs> I hope they apologize. We have no record. I mean, he did disappear before he got the chance, but... Uh, but, but they kind of tease him a little bit, and then they tell him, oh, yeah, all this thing's happening and stuff like that. And then this remarkable sentence happens right after this, this verse. It says that Jesus then described to them every way from Moses throughout the entire Old Testament. He described to them every way the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Every single way. Like, imagine that sermon. <laughs> Like, I would love to hear that sermon. That has to be the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of mankind. Like, to be able to see Jesus in every law, in every Levitical law, in everything of the entire Old Testament. They heard the best sermon on earth right then, I believe. But it said their eyes were still not opened. And then they're going home, and then Jesus, it says, pretended to continue to walk to see if they would invite him, to see if there would be an invitation. And then it says the disciples invited him in. They said, no, okay, come on in. So he comes on in, and then they break bread at the dinner table. And it says it wasn't until the moment Jesus broke the bread that the disciples' eyes were opened, and they saw that it was Jesus. And I teach this on our school of evangelisms, our SOEs, that that's evangelism right there. 
It's not about the perfect sermon. It's not about the perfect Sunday message. It's not about like following Jesus. That's what that was for me when I was 12 years old. It wasn't about all the amazing messages I'd heard from my parents and from the pastors and any of that. It was about experiencing and seeing Jesus through fellowship and relationship. That's what it was all about. That's why Jesus calls us to make disciples, not go preaching everywhere, but make disciples, not converts, disciples, relationship. And I remember seeing Jesus in that moment and my entire life was changed. I knew I wanted to preach this gospel the rest of my life. They actually spoke to me that I would be in missions and, and, and gave me several other visions, but I'm still waiting for those to come true, so I won't spoil them yet. <laughs> But he gave me visions that night, and he completely broke off that depression. He completely broke off. Of course, it tried to fight its way back, but I now knew my authority. I now knew who I was in Christ. I knew the power of my God. If he's for me, who can be against me? And those things fell away as the nothing that they are. And man, is that something my generation needs. And so at 13, 14 years old, so I was at 12, my life was completely changed, and I truly found Jesus for myself. And then I remember actually going to a Luis Palau in DC Talk. Luis Palau was speaking in DC Talk concert, uh, August 11, 2001, I think. Um, and that was the moment that I, I began that process. Come on, DC Talk, <laughs> Luis Palau. But... Uh, from, uh, so I started following the Lord then, and then at 14 years old, a man named Matt, a local youth pastor, moved from Missouri, or what he calls misery. <laughs> he moved from Missouri to Boise, Idaho, to join a, a, a youth group, and there were just five of us when we joined the youth group. And he discipled us. He took us in. He, he would walk through us. We'd read the entire Bible once a year. He would walk through us on th different theologies. I took four years of high school classes through his ministry and, and learned about apologetics and how to, you know, where God is and science and all of these and, and, you know, scripture. And he was Baptist. And so we were raised very much scripture, 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 which I thank God for. What a foundation that laid. And he walked us through that. And even at, at 14, 15 years old, he had me start speaking to the youth group. He recognized a, a gifting within me for, for teaching and preaching. And so you can imagine how bad my sermons were <laughs> at 14 years old. I hope I've gotten a little better. You'll be the judges of that. But, uh, but he started to disciple me in that. He started to empower me. And I was terrible, but he encouraged me even through that. And he discipled me. And that's what discipleship is, is walking with them. The, the disciples of the rabbis would follow them so closely that the dust of their shoes would literally cover the front of their robes. You know, they'd even go to the bathroom the same way that they would go to the bathroom. It was, they followed them and mimicked them and walked them through everything. And so, no, Matt, I didn't go to the bathroom the same way Matt did. But he discipled me. He walked with me on this process. And I thank God for that. And that was from 14 to 18, 17, 18. And, and man, our youth group was radically changed. We, we had five at the beginning, and we had 120 every week by the end. God was moving in such power. And in my, in my high school, man, it was just, we were just evangelists. Every opportunity we got to preach the gospel, we were taking it. And I have a million stories about that. But Walt said, I only have two hours, so I'll keep it short. <laughs> But uh, God did amazing things during that time, and he spoke and, and uh, built so much within me, and it was amazing. But at 17, 18 years old, my youth pastor told me that, you know, throughout those years that he would, uh, he would move up to be the head pastor of the church, and I would take over the youth ministry. And at 17 and 18 years old, he ended up giving it to my best friend instead of me. And uh, <laughs> that's how I felt. <laughs> and at the time, I remember being just heartbroken 
And it was to the point that I completely, again, lost my identity. And I went through three or four years of kind of my own rebellion. I started dating a girl that wasn't healthy for me. Uh, we made pretty much every mistake in the book. And so from 17, 18 to 21, I was kind of falling away from the Lord and trying to do my own thing. And that was my life for three or four years. I pretty much stopped going to church. They asked me to step down from everything. And, um, and I lost my identity. And I realized once again that I put my identity and everything I am in this position, in this authority, in this leadership, and in these things that don't fulfill, in these things that are empty. And I lost that, that simple and powerful childlike love for Jesus. It was about all these other things, but it wasn't about Jesus anymore. So when I lost those other things, I lost who I was. And at 21, I remember it wasn't anything crazy dramatic. I just remember one night, I just couldn't do it anymore. That depression was creeping back, and I just remember getting on my knees and repenting and just being like, God, I am done. Like, I can't continue to live this life. I can't fall away from you. I can't do this anymore. And I repented, and man, I've been... This has been my message the last two years. Every base, every church, every ministry that I preached at and taught out throughout Aotearoa, New Zealand, everywhere I've gone within New Zealand, I preach this message, let's take repentance back. Like repentance, especially in my generation, you say that word and you almost be like, ooh, you know? <laughs> ooh, repentance. You almost cringe a little inside, right? It's like, ooh, it's almost kind of a, you just feel like you're forced, like it's this oppressive word over your life or something, you know? And, and my generation's almost scared of it. It's like you say repent and they're like, no, no, you know, they hide in the corner, you know, they don't want to listen or be there or anything. And I'm so, I believe that my, uh, this generation needs to take that repentance word back. It is a gift from God and one of the most beautiful things we can do. Repent. That's why Jesus, everywhere he goes, first thing he always says, repent and be baptized. New Testament, the book of Acts, you look at any salvation, every single one of them, first thing they always say is, whenever they're like, how do we respond to this message, Peter? Repent and be baptized. It is a beautiful word that says enough with this disgusting sin that this disgusting thing that robs me of who I am and take the identity of Christ and the authority that you've been given as more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Amen? And I believe that's happening, especially within New Zealand, but we'll talk about that in a second. Repentance is back and it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's, it's going to lead to revival. Man, where there's repentance, revival breaks. Study the revivals, the Welsh revival, you know, all these ones that have happened throughout the world. It almost always starts with repentance and simple love of Jesus. It's why Corinthians says it's the simple things that confound the wise, right? Simple things of God. And so I repent at 21, and then I'm like, and I, I apologize. I repent to the girl I was seeing at the time and break that off and, and start to follow the Lord and apologize for everything I did. And, um, and I'm like, all right, God, now what? You know, now what's going on here? And he just goes, go to Google and type in God in New Zealand. <laughs> so God, even God uses Google. Um, <laughs> and so I go on Google and I type in God and I type in New Zealand. And one of the first links to come up is this thing called YWAM Queenstown. And I had no idea, but that was the first week that the website was ever posted. Um, it was a brand new base, just pioneered. There are many of those who had gone before us, like Peter, actually. He got baptized in Lake Wakatipu, which our base is literally on. Um, and, you know, Dave and Sue Cole, there's been many legends who have gone through Queenstown and run evangelistic movements where we get two million visitors a year when borders are open. So we're very evangelistic focused. We're always in town preaching the gospel, talking to people, building relationships. It's our passion. Um, but... 
I'd never heard of this YWAM, and it was the first week that the website was posted. And so I'm like, all right, God, it looks like it. And the Lord's like, this is it. And so I'm like, all right. So I apply to it, having no idea what it is. And remember, this is little Baptist Michael. So I was raised on scripture only. Holy Spirit's only there to translate scripture. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I fundraise, and God opens amazing doors, and he's continued to open them for seven years. And, um, and I remember showing up there, and on day three, they're having a baptism of the Holy Spirit Pentecostal night. And I was like, what is this witchcraft going on here? <laughs> I was terrified. I was so scared of what the heck's going on here. But that's one of YWAM's strengths. We're non-denominational. So we allow every, from the conservative Baptist Bible only to the Holy Spirit Pentecostal. I, you know, I call myself Baptocostal now because I just, <laughs> I love that middle ground. Fall in love with the scripture, the foundation, but enjoy the freedom of the spirit. Amen. And I remember that night, and I was just like, I, I am terrified of whatever's happening right now. And I'm going to fast forward the next couple of years because of time. But basically that night, the Holy Spirit met me and destroyed my little nice Holy Spirit box that I had put him in. Man, does he love destroying boxes. I mean, look at the way Jesus healed people in the New Testament. Well, he spit in the mud and then rub it on their eyes. One time he had them stick their tongue out, and then he spit in his hand and put it on their tongue. Anyone want to do that as an example? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like it's in any theological box to me. And our scripture says that the same, Romans 8, 11, I want to say, 6, 11, says the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives within us and gives life to our mortal bodies. It's the same spirit, amen? And so here I am years later speaking on the Holy Spirit throughout all the bases of New Zealand. God's got a funny sense of humor in that. But uh, I remember that night, the Holy Spirit just destroyed all theological boxes. I actually went up there to prove them wrong. Like, this thing is a joke. This is witchcraft. And I go up there all smug and arrogant. And, but then I was absolutely destroyed. And the Holy Spirit did his work. And it was amazing. And... <clears throat> Yeah, so we did three months, and for those of you who don't know what YOM is, is it's three months of a lecture phase where you study God, you get to know the heart of God, the character and nature of God, Holy Spirit, spiritual warfare. There's certain topics. We have three hours a day for a week, um, so it's long lectures, which is why I'm used to that time. Um, you talk about God, and then you do two months of an outreach into the nations. And our focus nation is Papua New Guinea. In the last seven years, I've spent a total of one year of that in Papua New Guinea. So it's been about four and a half years in New Zealand. And uh, there's some photos there. I'll get to those photos and explain some of them in a bit. But, um, but yeah, so I spent a year of that in Papua New Guinea. And that was the part that got me excited. Lecture phase was all right. Aotearoa was cool. But I, when I got to Papua New Guinea, just seeing what the Lord was up to in PNG was just incredible. And so God broke my heart for the nations, and so I uh, came back to Boise afterwards after we graduated, and then the Lord spoke to me to go back, and I've been back there for seven years. And started leading schools and enjoying everything God was doing in New Zealand. And then about three years ago, a little under, it was uh, December of 2019, the Lord asked me, and my base directors felt like the Lord was calling them to move on, and so they asked me if I would take over the base as base director uh, over YOM Queenstown. And it was one of those reactions, you know, I used to manage a grocery store from 18 to 21. And whenever there were angry customers, I get called to the front and I go to the front and they'd be like, you know, manager to the front. And I get to the front and they'd be like, you're the manager. And I'd be like, trust me, I'm just as surprised as you. Um, <laughs> and that has continued to this day. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, 
Yeah, they asked me if I'd take over in December of 2019, which for those of you who remember, COVID began in March of 2020. I like to say God has funny timing, but I have to remember it's perfect. Um, yeah, very funny timing, but he asked me to do that, and then immediately the Lord's like raised up a good team. So I raised up an incredible leadership team uh, who has really carried the burden of the last five, two and a half years. It has not been me. It's been an amazing team together, and YWAM Queenstown as a group. And we grew incredibly. We, have, we had 60 staff before COVID. We were running about 100 to 200 students a year. Um, and then COVID hit. And so we had to shut down schools, um, borders closed, and borders are still closed. Uh, they're opening next month, which is exciting, and we're very excited about. But God did amazing things and incredible things. And, but yeah, then the borders hit, and we went from 60 staff to 24 pretty much overnight. A lot of them felt to go home during the pandemic, be with their families, and awesome. We blessed them, and YWAM's easy on, easy off. So it's an incredible honor to, to commission them out. But our leadership team and the 24 of us felt to stay and endure and persevere. And the last two and a half years, that's exactly what it's been. There's a slide that says the last two years. Sorry, I know I'm everywhere. Last three years, there it is. And so we bought that base in September of 2019, the one on the top left there. Uh, that's our property right underneath the remarkable mountain range. Uh, beautiful, beautiful spot. That's our, a little bit of our staff team there. Um, and that's a little bit more of our property on the bottom right. And there's the lake that you were baptized in there, Peter. I'm sure you remember that site. Uh, and we just got finished with some baptisms right then too. But the last two and a half years has been completely different. Borders shut, everything. I couldn't go. Papua New Guinea was my passion, right? And the borders are shut. I can't go there. It's shut down. And we had to completely redefine what we believed missions was. We had to be like, all right, God, like our whole passion and our whole heart has been for Cook Islands, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, mainly Papua New Guinea and Indonesia, as Indonesia is the main Muslim nation in the world. You know, our passion was raising up Papua New Guineans to be disciples and then sending them into Indonesia. And we had to redefine that completely because we're like, we're two years in this country, but borders are closed. What are we going to do? And the Lord led me again. He's led me to this verse so many times. If you have your Bibles, go to it. But it's in Habakkuk 1, or Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. But I've gone to it time and time again. It's one of my foundational verses. And even in evangelism, I love it. Habakkuk 1, it says, starting in verse 2, it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And how often in the last two years have we felt this? I've felt this. Like, all we are is bombarded with the news. Like, look at the nations. There's war. There's death. There's plagues. Everything bad. Blah, blah, blah. Everything's terrible. Everything's terrible. And then we wonder why our mental health or depression is trying to creep back in. Like, all we're getting is, oh, and that's exactly what Habakkuk is crying out. Look at violence. There's everywhere. God, where are you? I don't see you anywhere. There's violence, destruction. Justice is perverted. And look at God's response in verse 5. It's one of my favorite responses he ever makes. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not even believe if told. He doesn't even address the violence. He doesn't address the negativity. He says, I don't have time for that. 
Stop looking at the negative. Stop looking at the terrible things that are happening around the world. Stop looking at it and just feeling like that's all that's happening. Look among the nations and see what's good. Believe I am up to something mighty. And so even when I share the story, when I talk about the base this morning, it's not me trying to fundraise. It's not me trying to talk about how good we are or what we're up to. It's to get us outside of our own little bubble and our own little perspective and look among the nations and be astounded at the work God is doing. Because he is doing a mighty work throughout the nations. He is moving in power throughout New Zealand, even though it's hard, yes. In the last two years, we have had more mental health uh, issues in New Zealand, because we've run five DTSs, or five schools over the last two years. We ran a school of worship, uh, discipleship Bible school, where they read through the whole Bible in three months, and we've ran three DTSs. And it's been amazing, but we've had more mental health issues in the last two years than we had in the previous five combined. It has been a hard going. My my generation is struggling with mental health, but the way we are going to get free of that is by looking among the nations, wondering and being astounded, believing that God is in control, believing that he is doing a mighty thing. One of the last things Jesus says, you know, I was hearing stories about my papa, about David, and, and, you know, before he passed, he made intentional, he was very intentional with his time. He met with Walt, he met with his kids, he prophesied over them, he prayed over them, he spoke words. I mean, he was more of a YWAMer than I ever was in his, in his last couple months. He was more of a minister than I ever was in my last couple months from what I hear. And it's, that's the inheritance I got to strive to and look forward to. But one of the things I love about that is that he recognized what God was doing. And one of the things I love about that is we always want to, you know, the last thing that you say, the last thing that you do on this earth, you want it to be a summation of your life, right? You want it to be something that leaves the next generation, you know, with, with what your life was all about. You want it to be your legacy, right? And so let's look at the last thing that Jesus ever said, Matthew 28. It can't be a YWAM sermon without Matthew 28. He says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority, not a little bit, all authority has been given to Jesus. And then he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey the commands I've given you. And then the last sentence he says, the thing that he wants to leave us with is, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And then he completes the, and then he says, go. And then he completes the sandwich by saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what breaks off the mental health. That's what breaks off the stronghold over my generation. That's what reminds us why we do what we do. And that's what redefined the way we see missions. Now, we don't look at missions as going to Papua New Guinea. We don't look at missions as going to all these. We look at missions as going and getting coffee downtown at Starbucks. I walk in now, every, it challenged me to my core about two years ago when the Lord revealed this to me. Every time I go into a new coffee shop, first thing I think in my spirit is, Holy Spirit, what are you already up to here? Because he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I am in the nations. Look among the nations. Wonder and be astounded. His presence is everywhere. He's already doing a work everywhere we go. Do we see it? Are we looking? Because if you're looking at the crap, then your life's going to be crap. But if you're looking at what he's doing, if you're looking at what God is up to in that Starbucks and that Macca's in that, (laughs) I know those are ridiculous examples, and your family, and you're like, man, God, thank you for doing that. How can I partner to see more of your glory come through that? 
And that's what we've been doing in New Zealand. That's a map there of every location within Aotearoa that we've been sending teams and speaking at churches and youth groups. We were very intentional, like, God, where do you want us to go? Where, is it, where are you moving? And we can show up and just partner with it and just watch what you want to do. And it's been amazing even to see this within Papua New Guinea. If you can go to our Papua New Guinea slide. You know, we were a bit worried not sending teams into Papua New Guinea. How prideful is that? As if it's about us. <laughs> We were a bit worried about not sending teams to PNG. And, you know, I've raised up, I've, I've told you guys about the YWAPers, Youth with a Purpose. They're a group of youth in Papua New Guinea that we discipled. And they haven't done YWAM, so they call themselves YWAPers, Youth with a Purpose. They're a bunch of uh, thieves and bank. One of them, my best buddy, was a bank robber. He tells me all these stories. Oh, when I pointed my gun at him, God showed up. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Dude, that's a story. <laughs> But we raised up these guys called YWAPers, and we were nervous we wouldn't go there because we'd go to the same places with all our outreaches to disciple them and raise them up. And then pretty soon, they're doing all the preaching. We just show up and get everything ready, and then they're doing all the ministry, and it's amazing. And I was a bit worried in my pride that, uh, you know, things were changing and, and we wouldn't be able to go there. And I got this text one day. Oh, actually, let me give me some backstory real quick. It's a story I'll end on. Um, if you see on the far right picture, that's a good friend of mine. She was a student, and she was on her lecture phase, and the Lord spoke to her very clearly. The Lord said, I want you to get baptized by Michael, and it sounds prideful, but it, we'll get to the point. It's not about me. Um, <laughs> Michael. Um, is the Lord speaks to her and says, I want you to get baptized by Michael, but in Papua New Guinea. And she had no idea I was going to be in Papua New Guinea with her. I was going to show, I just showed up and surprised him. And I didn't know about this word of the Lord she had. And so she's in Papua New Guinea with her outreach team. And I show up to pastoral visit them to make sure they're doing good. And I show up and she starts freaking out. She's like, oh my gosh, God told me that you would be in Papua New Guinea and that I need to be baptized by you. And it's so cool. Like, let's do it. You know, let's, let's get baptized. I had no idea you were coming here. You know, she didn't try to force the word of the Lord. She just waited patiently, even though it made no logical sense. And God made it happen. And so we run this baptism service that you see on the right. And you can see all the Papua New Guineans. You can't see them, but there's a ton in the trees too. But all of this village is surrounding the area as we're doing this baptism service. And I preach on it. And, you know, we do the baptism and all's well. It's all good. And then that's the end. And the whole time, the whole rest of the outreach, we're thinking like, what the heck? Like, what was the point of that? Like, why did God say to wait for PNG? Like, it didn't seem to make much sense. Like, it was just the end. It didn't seem like anything crazy happened. Months later... Months and months later, I get a text from one of my Papua New Guineans named Tuta, and that's the text that you see there. And he says, bro, you will never believe this. He said, but before you guys showed up, this whole island of Papua New Guinea only believed in infant baby baptism. So you could not be baptized, and we didn't know this, you could not be baptized as anybody, no, if, even if you come to the Lord late in life, you can't be baptized. It's sacrilegious to them. And he's like, when you guys preached on baptism and when you gave examples of scripture, it challenged the leaders of the, of the area. And they started diving into scripture and they found that baptism can be for anybody all over scripture. And so it challenged them. So they started running baptism services themselves. They said over 600 people in one day were baptized as you see from the photos. He just started sending me all these photos. He said, revival is breaking out throughout the islands. Like there's baptisms happening everywhere. The Holy Spirit is just moving in a power that we've never realized or seen before. And all because, again, it had nothing to do with me. It was just God wanted us to run a baptism service in PNG so that revival can break out. And now they're traveling. I still get texts. Literally, I got one two days ago from my buddy Joe. I think I have more photo, one more after this. Yeah, so there's one of them. 
uh, Tuta's the guy on the left there. Joe just texted me that two days ago, the, the one on the second to the left. They're doing revival ministry throughout all of Papua New Guinea. Mike, the guy on the left there, he's a, he came from our base. He's in Medang now, pioneering a YWAM base. Like, God is up to so much among the nations. And even with New Zealand, I just got done speaking two weeks at two different bases, and God was setting people free left and right and igniting this gift, especially the gift of tongues. I feel like everywhere I go, people are getting the gift of tongues. And it's just, there's this freedom happening within the South Pacific that is so encouraging. And it is, I know people might say that a lot, like revival, you know, but it is true. There is, God is moving amongst this generation. It's not all negative. It's not the stuff you see in the news. It's not all this depression. No, God is moving. And it comes from acknowledgement of the power of his Holy Spirit, of seeing him everywhere, everywhere we go, whether it's a Starbucks, whether it's our families. You're like, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? Amen? Amen. And so let's go forth in that mentality. Let's leave this place. Everywhere we go, we ask the Holy Spirit. We're partnering with him. So that's what he is. He just wants relationship. That's why I believe Jesus healed in all those crazy and ridiculous ways. He was modeling that. It's not just a abracadabra, you're healed in Jesus' name. He was modeling. No, it's about asking the Holy Spirit, relationship with the Father. How do you want to do this? What do you want to do? What's the creative way you want me to show your power and your authority? And man, life comes. It's not this boring walk with God. It's exciting. You never know what the Holy Spirit, you wake up every day and you're like, Holy Spirit, what are you going to do today? How can I intercede? When I look at the news and see the horrible things that are happening, I no longer look at it and feel powerless. I look at it and I'm interceding immediately. You know, I look at it and I see, oh man, but I hear, I'm hearing incredible stories of YWAMers on the ground in Ukraine and what God is up to there. God is moving. He is moving amongst New Zealand. He is moving amongst the nations. Don't be discouraged. Ask the Holy Spirit what it is to partner with him and what it looks like to partner with him in your own walks, in your own families, in your own lives. And let's watch God move. That My favorite verse, my missions verse is John 3, 8. Those who are born of the Spirit are like the wind. They will come and they'll go and you don't know why. Does that sound like it's in any box? Heck no. But that's what makes it exciting because it's all about relationship with God and relationship with one another. That's why the Lord's trying to divide the church, or the Lord, the enemy's trying to divide the church. Satan literally means the accuser of the brethren. When we accuse one another, we are literally partnering with Satan. That's his name. But no, man, the Holy Spirit shows up when we follow relationship with him and relationship with one another. So let's recognize the Spirit of God, and God is moving amongst the South Pacific. Amen? Amen. So Lord, I just thank you for this time, God. I thank you for what you've done amongst the South Pacific, God. I thank you for the last two or three years, though it's been hard. It's been trying going from 60 staff to 20 and from eight schools a year or more, actually 14, 12 to 14 schools a year to five, Lord. It's, it's hard to see that pruning. But God, you are pruning the church. You are pruning missions around the world right now. And I believe you are pruning it for a revival that is to come, to bring in fresh vision, to bring in fresh words of the Lord, to bring in people who are in love, not lukewarm, but in love with your Holy Spirit, in love with your presence, God. That they may bring in a fresh move of lo the Lord that you want to do amongst the nations, specifically in Aotearoa, specifically in Australia, in Papua New Guinea, and in the United States. Father, I pray that you will give us this revelation that everywhere we go, we will seek your presence. There's a reason that King David was like, there is nothing more I want than to be in the presence of God. That's all I seek. Lord, even as we worship with this last song, 
I pray that we just take a moment and we see you. As Hebrews 12 says, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You make it all worth it. So let us see your presence. We're not trying to bring your presence down from heaven. We're not trying to drag you here. You're already here. You're closer than the air we breathe, Holy Spirit. We just have to open our eyes and open our spirit to see you, to see what you're doing amongst the nations. So God, though it's been a hard two years, and I don't make light of what the, the hardships that we've had to carry, the people that we've lost. Lord, we look at the inheritance, we look at those people, and we look at the hardships, God, and we choose to see you and to ask how we can partner with your heart to bring your glory, to make you known, to fall in love with you even more. In Jesus' name, amen.